Good morning. This morning we are reading from John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see it his hands the mark of the nail, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen? The Bible says, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. We've come to this moment. We've come to this moment in John's gospel, the resurrection of the Son of God. Uh, You've heard me say before that the other three gospels really tell the story of Jesus almost from the audience's perspective. If you could imagine the gospels as though you are watching a play being performed before you. The other three Gospels give you the perspective of the audience, but John's Gospel gives you the perspective from backstage. John wants you to understand what the director is doing, what the playwright intends as the play unfolds. With such intimate touches, right, like reminding all posterity, all future generations that it was he, John, who beat Peter to the tomb. I mean, he was probably younger, so he would have been faster and and got there before Peter. But I think the most critical touch in John's uh, gospel, this final announcement, he finally reveals in the 20th chapter why he wrote his gospel. Verse 31, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There it is. And so people had to wake up to the reality of the resurrection, just like John and his friends had to wake up to this new paradigm of reality. I was thinking of the Lord of the Rings, of course, again, uh, please be patient with me. How at the end of the Lord of the Rings, Samwise Ganji wakes up and, and, and in amazement, he realizes that he has survived the horrors of Mount Doom, and Gandalf, his friend, in fact, is still alive, and he himself is still alive, and he declares to Gandalf, is everything sad going to come untrue? The men and women around Jesus had to wake up to a new paradigm of reality itself. And that's why John was writing his gospel. And frankly, that's why I'm preaching today. Because you and I need to wake up to a new paradigm of reality because Jesus of Nazareth rose bodily from the dead 2,000 years ago. And he said to his disciples when he saw them that evening after his resurrection, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's us. And that's you. And if not yet, I hope so soon. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, in the very least, there are, there are myriad immeasurable blessings for those who believe in a risen Jesus. But in the very least, these are the blessings of belief. And that's what I'm calling the sermon. These are at least the blessings of belief that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is personal, it is comforting, and it is reliable. If you believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that is personal for you. It should be comforting to you because it's reliable. 
And as we think about those three words and those three ideas, I want to talk about them from the vantage point of three people who were there waking up to this new reality. I want to talk about Mary Magdalene's perspective, that it's personal. The disciples as a group, their perspective, that it is comforting. And finally, Thomas, his perspective, that this is reliable. Now, the blessings of belief came to those who obviously first witnessed the risen Jesus of Nazareth, right? The personal nature of the resurrection we can see experienced by Mary Magdalene herself. She's shocked and in grief because of the crucifixion which took place two days earlier, right? That shock and that grief now give way to bewilderment and fear because she sees that the tomb is empty and she doesn't know what happened to the body of her rabbi. Grave robbing was a thing in those days. So it, 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 it would have been a frightening thing to, to go there and see that the stone was rolled away and that the tomb, in fact, was empty. And so then she asks the gardener because she actually thinks that this voice speaking to her is the voice of the gardener. And she says, where is he? Where's the body? Tell me where he is. I'll go and take care of it. But it wasn't the gardener, right? It was Jesus, though she couldn't recognize him as Jesus. And that's interesting. Luke's gospel shares a similar account of a different, uh, two different believers, uh, two different disciples who were walking on this road towards Emmaus, and Jesus approached him. And Luke tells us, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him as well. So apparently Jesus' physical but glorified body was at times perceivable and at times imperceivable to the mortal senses of everybody else. And so it seemed that that was the case for Mary Magdalene until Jesus spoke her name. I can just, I can picture it. Maybe she's in tears, sobbing, frightened. She hears a voice. Where, where did you put him? But, but, but the, the, everything changed when he spoke her name, when that voice spoke her name. You know, Mary, she knew immediately. For a believer, the only human being who ever beat death knows you. And when she heard him speak her name, she knew who it was. And I found it fascinating because it was just, it was just, a while before that, that he said to his disciples and to the Pharisees who were opposing him, he said, I am the good shepherd, right? And he said, my sheep know me and my sheep hear my voice. And they listen to me because they know my voice. He said, my sheep follow me because they know my voice. I call them by name, he said. And not only for Mary Magdalene, but for literally, according to the Apostle Paul, for hundreds of disciples, the resurrection was not just factual, it was personal. That's why so many of them were willing to die and be thrown into prison, because it wasn't just factual. You don't give yourself up for facts only. They gave themselves up for a person they knew was alive. Not only personal, but the resurrection was comforting, and the nature of that comfort is seen in the experiences of the disciples as a group, right? Judas leaves, he hangs himself. You're down to 11. The 11 at least, maybe more, are, they're, they're locked in, right? 
Now, their leader had just been executed two days before, so naturally, they, they're inside somewhere in Jerusalem with the doors locked. This is sort of a, a self-imposed lockdown, right? They don't want to be seen. They don't want to be heard. They're just laying low until hopefully the whole ruckus blows over. And you know, out of all the things that happened during that time and all the things that Jesus must have said, John thought it was important to tell the world one specific phrase that Jesus spoke to them when they saw him for the first time, uttered three times by Jesus in that first, two, in that first week. Peace be with you. He felt they needed to hear those words. He said, peace be with you to that frightened bunch of guys. And what we know in verse 20 is John's reply is that they were glad, kind of an understatement there in the English, they were, the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And I'll bet you they remembered what he had said to them two nights before in the upper room during the Passover meal before he was betrayed when he said, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. And this became a theme in the early church. The Apostle Paul called him the God of all comfort. They would live. Some of them would die soon. Some of them would live long lives, but they would all suffer. They would all, as Jesus predicted, suffer trouble in this world. Some of them were imprisoned. Some of them were executed. But this peace... This peace propelled them to do great things, to change the world as it was known. Because the risen Jesus had said to them, peace be with you. And they believed that. Because he had said to them, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Not only is the resurrection personal, for the believer. Not only is it comforting, it is also reliable. The reliability of the resurrection in particular was experienced by Thomas. Of course, all of them, but particularly Thomas. And I think we overcast Thomas. I think we give him a bad rap by calling him doubting Thomas as though none of them struggled with unbelief, as though none of us struggles with unbelief. Thomas is exercising cautious skepticism. How many of you are cautious skeptics in so many areas of life? Thomas's skepticism plays a critical role in the story that John is trying to tell. Right from the very beginning, John is trying to impress upon his readers, most likely uh, uh, Hellenized Jews of the Mediterranean world who had not yet heard of this Messiah. He's trying to convince them that this is legit. That Jesus wasn't just a spirit or an apparition, but that he was a human being. Remember in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John keeps returning to this theme, especially now, once Jesus is risen, right? Thomas wants to know that the body of Jesus was resurrected. He says to his friends, I don't care what you think you saw, I want to know that the Jesus that was crucified is the Jesus that you saw. 
I want to know that the body that you claim stood before you was the body that we all saw crucified two days, uh, two days ago. And so Th- Thomas's skepticism here by the providence of God provides John an opportunity to make it clear to his first century readers and to us that the crucifixion was biolo- that that the resurrection was biological it was material it was physical and then he saw Jesus and when he saw Jesus when he touched the risen Jesus, when he touched the still wounded Jesus, Thomas's response outdid them all. He said, my Lord and my God. John went even further than Thomas's witness in proving the reliability of the resurrection. Did you notice in the beginning, and you see this in all four Gospels, it was a woman who saw Jesus first. It was women who first saw the empty tomb. And that's significant because if you were making up a hoax, you wouldn't do that. Because in the, Roman, in the Greco-Roman world and even in the Jewish world, you couldn't admit a woman's testimony in a court, in a court of law. Only a male's testimony. So nobody would have come up with the idea that women saw Jesus first, that women saw the empty tomb first. That's a beautiful thing in a chauvinistic and patriarchal world that women beheld the Savior first. But John goes further than that. He appeals to the people and the concerns um, and the blindness of his age by making it clear what? That it was two men who went to the tomb and also saw it empty and saw the linens that he had been wrapped in lying there. It was two men, and that's really important because according to Deuteronomy chapter 19, a fact in a court of law could only be proven by the evidence of two witnesses. Skeptics, doubters, and maybe you're one, and I'm glad you're here, or I'm glad you're listening, but doubters cannot dismiss the resurrection as it's a myth, or a legend, because it's as Tim Keller once said, it is not written that way. When you look at ancient myths and legends, this doesn't sound like them at all. You must face the reliability of the evidence. Now, these blessings of the resurrection did not cease after that first eyewitness generation died. The blessings of belief come to us who believe, although we have not yet seen the risen Jesus. The resurrection is personal to us, and therefore it's comforting. And because it's personal, and because it's comforting, we believe because it's reliable. It's personal and comforting because it's reliable. What was John's goal in writing all of this? That you may have life in his name. Not just that you may believe, but he goes further and says, so that you, in believing, may have life in his name. The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright wrote that if you look at all four resurrection accounts in the four Gospels, there is this present hope, the future hope about all of us rising from the dead and being with the Lord someday. That's in the letters, the Apostle Paul. But but what, what you see in all the actual resurrection accounts is this present hope, 
Not so much a future hope. Because he's saying, I want you to believe so that you may have life in his name. Not will have life someday, but have life right now. It's not just a future resurrected life that we hope in. Of course it is. It is that. But it's true life right now. And it's purpose right now. The Apostle Paul would say, because Jesus rose from the dead, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Everything we do matters because Jesus rose from the dead, not because He's simply coming again. And what did He say to them? The risen Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I'm alive, get to work. It is life right now. Not just life when He raises us from the dead. Not just life when He comes back. Life now, purpose now. The blessings of believing that Jesus rose from the dead are not only future blessings. We live this hard life right now with meaning, with purpose, with hope, and even in our sufferings, with joy. Because He said to them, and He says to us today, peace be with you. Do you believe that? Will you receive the same peace that He offered the eleven in that locked room on that evening? The peace that He offered to Mary Magdalene? Will you receive it? Peace be with you. Peace be with us. That's a blessing. It's a benediction in perpetuity until He returns. Peace be with us. His perfect peace. His peace that, as Paul said later, will surpass all our understanding. His peace is with us in all circumstances. Do you know that? His peace is with you now as you worry about the future. Whether it's gas prices, or your children, or wars, or your, how you're going to get through your next semester. His peace is with you now. His peace is with you, although you cannot control the outcomes. His peace is with you now as you grieve over the past. Somebody once said, we fear for the future because we can't control it, and we grieve over the past because of the shame and hurt we endured. He is with us now. His peace is with us now as we grieve over the past that still haunts us and saddens us. He breathes His peace into our present so that we can reframe our past in light of His new life. And so that we will not fear the future in light of His new life. Peace be with you. Peter, yeah, he didn't get to the tomb before John, but he went in. He went in first. And you're going to see in John chapter 21, Jesus and Peter have to work things out. But later on, Peter would write to the church, and I really think that this was the clincher. This whole experience was the clincher for Peter. But he would say, though you have not seen Jesus, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. I want to encourage you to allow the resurrection of Jesus Christ to challenge your points of unbelief. 
Even if like the kids you believe that Jesus rose from the dead and like all those people who stood up when Chrissy asked us, you believe, fine. There's a corner of your life somewhere where you don't let that life of resurrection, power and truth and grace pierce into the darkness. As we follow Christ for the rest of our lives, we are letting Him bit by bit shed His resurrection light into the dark corners of our life where we don't yet believe. Maybe it's simply unforgiveness. I can't forgive a person and so I am not believing in the power of His resurrection. But I want you to challenge yourself. Let the resurrection challenge your points of unbelief. Do you struggle, for instance, to believe that God is personal? That He's more than a force? That He's more than just simply inanimate Mother Earth who will not love you back if you take care of her? Do you struggle to believe that God is personal? Well, what if I told you that Jesus loves you just as much as he loved Mary Magdalene? Do you struggle to be comforted in your hardships? Do you refuse comfort? Do you refuse to be encouraged? Are you incorrigible? What if I told you that Jesus sympathizes as a fellow sufferer with your weakness and your suffering and the injustices and unfairness you've been treated and dealt out in life? What if I told you that Jesus sympathizes with you and offers you comfort based on his knowledge of human suffering? Maybe you struggle to believe that the resurrection is reliable, that it is actually true, that it is historical. Well, what if I told you that your unbelief in the resurrection requires just as much faith as believing it? Denial requires just as much faith. And what if I told you that given all of the testimony, the congruity, the symmetry, the the agreement across hundreds of eyewitnesses that was recorded within their lifetime, within the first generation of those who witnessed this, considering the fact that throughout history no one and nothing has been able to disprove the empty tomb and the accounts of all those hundreds of people, what if I told you that the burden of proof is actually on you to deny the resurrection? Allow the resurrection of Jesus to challenge your points of unbelief. Because the blessings of belief are being offered to you right now. Now, Some people say, well, why why don't I believe? And why have I never heard this before? Well, you're hearing it right now. It's right now. The blessings of belief are offered to you. If you confess with your mouth, as we read this earlier, the Apostle Paul said, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that, I got that wrong. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Only a resurrected Jesus proves that God accepted His death as a payment for your sin. 
The risen Jesus proves that the sacrifice received, was received by our God and we have reconciliation with Him. Only a resurrected Jesus proves that God does love you and can give you His peace right now. Only a resurrected Jesus proves that one day God will make all things new. His resurrection is personal, it is comforting, it is reliable. And so when I return, um, when I return from sabbatical in six weeks, we're going to hear the final chapter. It's sort of an aftermath, an epilogue. We're going to look at, at all of that. But you know what? When Jesus returns, when Jesus returns from all of His glory, when He is revealed, or when, when we are raised from the dead, or when we are changed at that moment when, when He is revealed, okay, whenever that happens, we will also see Him. We will also touch Him. We will also hear Him say our names on His lips. And we will declare with Samwise Gamgee, in wonder and amazement, is everything sad coming untrue? Let's pray. Father, we ask that You would wake us up to the reality of the risen Son of God. Father, wake us up in the areas of our lives that we still do not believe. And Father, we long to hear the voice of Jesus speak our name. And we long to touch Him and we long to be embraced by Him. And until then, may His peace be upon us. May we live now in His peace as it reinterprets our past. May we now live in His peace as it gives us hope in a future that we cannot know and cannot control. May the resurrection power and truth of Jesus give us a life of peace, although the world will give us trouble. Amen.